Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane. I am your host, and uh, I've got a good show uh, in, uh, in store for you today. Uh, one that, uh, well, you'll definitely see some of my passion in this thing. Uh, but before I do that, and before I get into it, and, and I am going to talk about the Pope's visit to Canada, the whole headdress thing, the so-called apology. I'm going to get into that, and I think it's important that you guys bear with me uh, so you can hear this perspective, because I know the New York Times and, and some of the other media that covered this thing really just pandered to you know, this dog and pony show that was put on in Canada. And, and I've got to offer a counter narrative to all of that. So, so I'm going to do that. But I also think it's important that people realize, look, I've been doing this for a while here on WBAI in particular, but certainly uh, grateful to be on WPFW uh, as well. Uh, I've been doing this, this show since, um, you know, actually before the, the climate march in New York back in 2014, I've been doing this show. Uh, changed its name once, but, uh, but prior to that, I, you know, I hosted uh, First Voices Indigenous Radio for over a year. I did some guest appearances on that show, guest hosting of that show. So I've been on WBAI for, for well over 10 years. Um, and on WPFW for going on to two, I think now. So, um, and I appreciate having these stations, these Pacifica stations, give me space, because without that space, the perspective that I offer will not be shared. But, but again, I've got to impress upon people listening that we are listener-supported radio, and that means we depend on you, and. We don't do commercials. We are commercial-free radio. And I know many of you who listen oftentimes uh, find it somewhat distracting, if not uh, uh, disconcerting, when we have to go through our fund drives. But the reason we do fund drives is, be, is to pay the bills. If, if we, on a regular basis, if, if every show that I mention that, that we are listeners of radio and we count on your contributions, if I could you know, add a couple of people each time, each week, then we wouldn't have to do the fund drives as, frequent, as frequently as we do. In fact, I, on WBAI, I'm preempted uh, every, you know, every fourth week for, for a fundraising show. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's somewhat of a reflection on, frankly, on my inability to, to rally people to, to support the stations. And, and I can't make apologies for that. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the show that I do. Uh, but I try to make sure that I ask each week, and I'm going to ask this week again, that if you're listening on WBAI in New York City, that you go to the pledge lines. You go to 212-209-2950. Look, we're, we've been trying to do these, these tower fund drives. We pay a lot of money for our, uh, for our transmission in New York City, possibly more than, than any of the other Pacifica stations. And it's not to say that WPFW doesn't have its needs, but... But we've been doing this tower fund uh, drive at WBAI, and we, you know, we're we're going to wrap it up this week. So I'm going to give one last ditch effort to ask you if you're listening in New York City, again to go to the pledge line two one two two zero nine two nine five zero. If you do it during this hour, then people will know you heard it here. But if you do it any other time, if you're listening to this show uh, on Facebook as we Facebook live stream this or if you're listening to this as a podcast, whenever you're listening, if you call that 212-209-2950 number and make a contribution to, to WBAI or specifically the, the, the Tower Fund Drive, uh, mention the program. Let them know that, you, that you're, you're answering my call, my call for you, the listener, to step up. You can also go online to go to Give2, that's G-I-V-E, the number 2, WBAI.org, and make a contribution that way. Uh, follow the prompts. Um, there's, there's a number of ways that you can, you can donate. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a, a time donation. You can do a monthly donation, become a BAI buddy. And the same goes for WPFW. If you're listening in Washington, D.C., I ask that you go to the pledge line, 202-588-9739, or go online to wpfwfm.org. Um, Look, WPFW, it's the same deal. You know, we're, we're, we hesitate to break in to the normal programming, to this programming or any of the normal programming, 
to do specific fund, uh, fund drive programming. We don't want to talk for days on end about how needy we are. You know that. You, we exist because of you, because of you, the listener. So, but on occasion, when we get under the gun and we aren't getting the response on our casual asks, we've got to be perhaps a little, try to be a little bit more convincing. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I'm trying to do today. I want to spend a few minutes, and in fact, uh, I, I invite uh, Reggie to join me. Yeah, Reggie, I, I know hey. we've been battling um, to, to get in front of this, uh, this cost for our, our tower transmission fees. Uh, where, I mean, give me a sense for, for, for where we're at and, and what, you know, what, I mean, again, what, what can listeners do? Uh, at, at this point, I mean, the, the, the listeners can do what they have done in the past. And, 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 um, and it's more significant now than ever because we don't have uh, the CPB, the Corporation of Public Broadcasting, funding that we usually would get in the past, which would consist of $375,000 per year per station on the Pacifica Network. Um, so we asked the listeners, if you appreciate like your program, Resistance Radio, and I would say that if I was uh, working here, I would definitely be listening to this program because I find it, even though me not being native, I find it so relatable and I can relate to 99.99999% of everything that you have said. And, and and that's what is the importance of a program like yours and any other similar program that's on WBAI is to understand what is the common denominator? What can you relate to that may be presented a little bit different? But as you have just said, John, it is so important to, pro, uh, to support this radio station and the three ways they could support WBAI in this case is 212-209-2950 or go to give to wbai.org or towerfund.wbai.org. We're in dire need of everything because we're behind the rent of the transmitter uh, by two months. We're behind the rent of the studios at WBAI for three months and only the listeners can sustain us and continue doing what we need to do. There are some things that needs to be improved, but I'm not going to go there. I will say that if you appreciate resistance radio as much as I appreciate resistance radio and as much as I respect the perspectives of what John Kane brings and, you know, Regan as well, uh, hopefully coming back to the show soon. <laughs> um, 212-209-2950. I think as what everything that John says, he brings an inconvenient truth to a lot of the things that has been known, but shedding some light on it. And it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. And if you have that queasiness, that, that awkwardness, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. Because he is bringing a level of truth that you may not have thought about, but then when you think about it and you haven't thought about it in the past, you start feeling guilty about it and you want to do something about it, hopefully, that's one of those, if you're one of those people. But if you appreciate Resistance Radio, 212-209-2950 for those listeners at WBAI, give to WBAI.org if you want to go online or if you want to support the Tower Fund, Tower Fund wbai.org and if you're listening John. in w if you're listening in w, uh in washington dc and i hope you are <laughs> then uh, again i ask you to go to their pledge line at wpfw that's 202-588-9739 or go online to wpfwfm.org and follow the prompts for uh for a donation there um you know look we all went through the, this, this COVID pandemic together, and we know that it affected our lives. And we tried to keep 
and and we had to struggle with everything from remote broadcasting that I'm still doing, by the way. I'm I'm talking to you from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. I I used to come to New York each week. I used to try to host an event at least once a month to raise money for the yep. station. And that's true. Don't I'm not doing it anymore. And I hope we can start it back up again. I'm hoping that things will loosen up enough. But every time I I'm convinced that things are are lighting up. We, we see another variant come through that becomes just as infectious. And, and of course, I'm not just concerned about my personal safety. I'm concerned about who else that, that I interact with. So, you know, so look, we've, we've found the means, you know, and, and I, I appreciate everything that, that Reggie and, and Michael G and others have done to make sure that we could offer quality radio even during a time where we haven't been able to sit in front of you know, we've got pretty good equipment at WBAI, but many of us are, are functioning the best way we can from wherever we can to get this programming to you. So, um, but in the meantime, we may not have the foot traffic to, you know, to our, our place in, uh, on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. So I ask that you don't forget that we still have to pay bills. We still have to, we still have to secure our, our transmission uh, ability and, and all of that stuff. So, again, in New York, that's 212-209-2950 or to go online at give2wbai.org. If you're listening in Washington, D.C., it's 202-588-9739 or go online to wpfwfm.org. And, look, I know many of you are, are checking this thing. They, you know, I stream video and the audio on Facebook Live. And, and maybe you don't think you need the radio station. But I got to tell you, we still need the radio station. I don't know that the show continues. I mean, I, I do a podcast called Let's Talk Native, and, and that happens without radio. But this is, a different, um, this is a different platform. And it allows me, look, I did a show a couple of weeks ago, and Reggie, you, you know this, we've, we've talked about this, where I called out specifically a, a Western <laughs> New York politician for some, for some very racist comments that she made, even though she's black. Yes. yes. Um, and that got to her immediately. You know, and she heard the program, and she reacted to the program. I did probably react to the best way that I would have hoped, but, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, there are messages that I hope that I, when I broadcast here in Washington or in New York, that they land where they're supposed to, and they do. But I can't do that. Look, I know that, <laughs> that some of these politicians and some of these powers that be in the New York City area or in the Washington area aren't going to listen to my podcast. I, I know that. They aren't, they aren't on my Facebook group pages. But you know what? We're on the radio here. And we're on the radio in two really significant markets, in New York and in Washington, D.C. But we can't be here without you, folks. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mm -hmm. matter that I can post this thing up as a podcast. It doesn't matter that I can, uh, I can live stream it on Facebook or, or share videos on, on YouTube or wherever. It doesn't, that stuff doesn't matter if we can't secure the space on radio. And look, and I've talked about this before. I know a lot of people are doing into, into land acknowledgements. And, and many mm -hmm. of you who listen may have heard these land acknowledgements. But I got to tell you, for me, they ring a little hollow. Because talking about the fact that we once had space, but we don't anymore, almost you know, flies in the face of, 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 of our existence. So when we are provided space, like airspace, airtime, on places like WBAI and WPFW, I need you to step up. I need, I need you to support those right. stations. None of that money, and let me say this, you know, I know, I, I, I almost hate to say it, but, but none of the, the support for WPFW and WBA comes to me. I do this program each week because I think getting my voice out there and getting these issues out there, because look, I'm not just offering perspective. I'm offering history. I'm cutting through right. Some of the fat. The program that I'm, that I'm going to do immediately after I conclude these requests of you, the listener, I'm going to I'm going to talk about the facts. I'm going to tell the truth about right. what what this pope did in Canada. I'm not mm -hmm. going to, you know, just talk about how angry it makes me. I'm going to talk about how angry it makes me, but I'm going <laughs> to tell you the truth, and and I'm going to tell you some some truth of history. And as Reggie said, some of it's uncomfortable, but you know what? If we don't delve into this stuff, if we don't address this stuff head on, then 
then everything repeats. We see the cycle that's happening in the United States mm -hmm. right now. We see an uptick in racism and, and, and racist behavior. And part of it, yeah, part of it is, does have to do with the politics and who's in office and, and who's you know, running around the country spouting you know, the, the racist views. But some of it obviously is still there. And right. without us going through the cycle of condemning that behavior and encouraging not just people to say, well, I'm not a racist, but encouraging people to be anti-racist. That's what, a, a lot of what I do on this program is addressing racism. I realize that many people don't necessarily associate the, our, the native existence as, as, as us being victims of racism. There's a lot of other words get put out there, Co colonization, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we hear all of these things, all these other words that get used, but they don't necessarily ring to people immediately as, well, that was pretty racist. That's, that's my job. My job is to, is to, is to inform and to offer, offer the, the, a perspective on this, this. So you do understand that, yes, we have experienced racism in much the same way, although sometimes in unique ways, as, as any, any black person in, in the United States or Canada has experienced. So right. that's why when Reggie says that he can, you know, he can relate to what I'm saying is because much of what we've experienced because of our backgrounds, because of our ethnicity, because of our culture, because of our, the color of our skin, we, we experience some of the same behavior. And, and the fact yep. that WBAI gives us a platform to, to address, address this issue, and I know there's a lot of programming on WBAI that address, addresses everything from, from bigotry to, to, to misogyny to, to racism, all of that stuff. I know it does. But I know that when, what I'm offering is a, a unique perspective, and oftentimes it's information that you're not going to get anywhere else. So again, one more time with the numbers, I'm going to, uh, I ask that you, if you're listening in New York or, or anywhere else, I ask that you go to the pledge line, go to 212-209-2950, or go online to give to WBAI.org. Uh, what's the Tower Fund uh, URL? Uh, Towerfund.wbai.org. Okay. And if you're listening in Washington or anywhere else, uh, WPFW needs your support as well. And, and again, we're trying to avoid the criticisms of having too many fundraising uh, uh, fund drives and too many fundraising shows. So if uh, during the course of, of doing a normal broadcast, and this is a relatively normal broadcast, although I'm talking quite a bit about fundraising today, um, during the, I mean, if, if we can generate an interest from you, the listener, to, to support the radio stations, then we don't have to take these breaks in programming. We don't have right. to do all of this specific. And, you know, sometimes we have to change the programming because we have these hearings, these January 6th hearings, or, or there's a Supreme Court nomination, or, or there mm -hmm. are events that, that cause preemptions. And most of us understand that. But I'll tell you, as a producer, as a broadcaster, I hate being preempted because of fund, uh, fundraising. Uh, and, and that's why I wish each week when I put the call out, I, I wish that I could get a, a response. And, and I'm hoping this week we'll get a response. Again, in Washington, it's 202 588 9739 or online at wpfwfm.org. Um, again, that's, that's my pitch for this week as we close out the, the Tower Fund Drive at WBAI. And as WPFW hopes to be able to push off uh, doing another fund drive to any, anytime soon. So this is, this is what we try to do here. So, all right, Reggie, thanks for helping me out on that. No um, problem. No, anytime, anytime. All right, I got to talk about the Pope. And, and as many of you have seen, because it got widely covered, uh, even the New York Times did a, did a bit of a, a spread on it. Um, let, me, let me just first say, <laughs> the Pope didn't apologize for the church. He didn't apologize for the Vatican. He didn't apologize for the clergy. If you listen to what he actually said, he apologized for the role that Christians played in the residential schools and, and all of the atrocities. Well, I'll take it back. Not all of the atrocities. He, he avoided specifically the sexual abuse that children ex, uh, experienced. And that sexual abuse wasn't just rape. You know, when, when we talk about sterilization, that's, that is both sexual abuse and a very specific example of, uh, of genocide where you 
where a nation state does something to a specific people to restrict um, childbearing. I mean, that's, that's a, a specific call out in the five explanations. I mean, obviously genocide includes killing people, harming people, both physically and uh, mentally, it, uh, creating the conditions that will cause the destruction of a people. Um, again, uh, births, uh, prevention of births, and, uh, and removing children. I mean, it all, it's almost, I've, and I've said this before on the show, and I'll say it again, it's almost like residential schools shaped the definition of, of genocide. And it really didn't. I mean, look, when the powers that be in the international community were defining genocide, we weren't even on the radar. Let's, I, we need to be honest here. We, they weren't talking about us. And the fact that we're actually applying that word to what our existence has been, what our history has been, that, that, that is really uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for all of those countries, including the United States and Canada, that want to you know, claim to be you know, these bastions of human rights, because they're not. But you know, the, the Pope didn't apologize for the role the church played. He apologized for the role Christians played, as if, and we see this all too often, as if it's just, well, it's, there's bad apples. That's what they say about police, right? Isn't that what they say? It's with police. Oh no, the the police system's fine. We just have some bad apples. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> I mean, that's what they're. That's what this pope did. He actually deflected, and took no responsibility. And let's be clear: this apology for residential schools is only the last phase of genocide albeit 150 years. And on the Canadian side, the last uh, residential school didn't close until the 1990s. That's not ancient history, folks. That's, that's, that's current history. That's recent history. But it doesn't even address, well, why would countries believe they could do these, uh, create these residential schools? Why would, would countries believe? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the church for centuries has promoted this doctrine of Christian discovery which is almost the foundation for racism. I mean, look, there were peoples that were abusing other peoples. There was the stratification of, of class and ethnicities and, and that kind of stuff for, for thousands of years. But once the Christian nations of Europe, the Christian nations of Europe, not the birthplace of Christianity, by the way, just in case you're wondering, there's no white people in the Bible. Yeah, let me say it again. There ain't no white people in the Bible. <laughs> but... White people sure are, are, are promoting Christianity, at least what they've created out of this, out of this, you know, these beliefs. But once the Christian nations became empowered by the church, and, and, and again, I know people, it's really easy to concentrate on the Catholic church here. But at the time when the doctrine of Christian discovery was being developed, there was only the Catholic church. That was Christianity. There wasn't the separation of Anglican church and Protestant churches and, and all of that stuff. None of that stuff existed yet. So when we call out the doctrine of Christian discovery, it is a doctrine that although it was born out of papal bulls, these, these papal decrees from the Vatican in the 15th century, all of the Christian denominations embraced it. They, they all embraced this notion that, some, that native people were somehow inhuman or subhuman because we were not we are not a Christian people. And somewhere along the line, along the line when when these papal bulls began, and and it all is tied to the expansion, not just of uh, of European and, and uh, the, the European empires, but but Christendom. As Portugal and other nations went into Africa, it was easy to distinguish who the pagans were. They were the black people. It was, you know, when, when the Crusades was being fight, uh, fought, it was easy to, to determine who were the people that could be condemned on, um, as, as the enemies of Christ because it was the color of their skin. Christianity became the building block for racism. And when, when that spread, when, when Europeans finally uh, cracked the veil that separated the Western Hemisphere from them, 
Well, it came. That's what came. Overt racism. The idea that, that Native children, women, men could be enslaved in much the same way that, that, that men, women, and children were being enslaved in, uh, in Africa. Once that, because they, had, they didn't just have permission. They actually, they actually had a call from the, the Vatican, from these popes, saying, no, it's your job. It's your job to fight the tyranny of, of non-believers. I mean, that's what they called. They, they, they called those of us who were not part of their, their belief system, not just the enemies of Christ, but by virtue of that, that somehow we were responsible for the tyranny of, of being non-believers. And so that was the call from the church. And, and the nations of Europe responded. I mean, it was, it was Spain, it was, it was Portugal, it was England, it was France, it was, the, uh, it, it was uh, you know, Italy. I mean, all of these, uh, well, Italy wasn't even a country, but it was, it was all of the nations of Europe. It was all of them that, that part participated in this. And of course, the offspring of that, the United States, the offspring of some of this, this, this European uh, way of thinking, this, this um, culture, <laughs> would be the United States. And, and if you think colonization that was essentially spawned and, and encouraged by the, by the Catholic Church was just somehow innocent or benign or peaceful, let's keep in mind, in 1823, Chief Justice John Marshall, in a case between, between white people disputing over whether they had the rights to, to native lands or not, essentially equated, he, he actually codified the doctrine of Christian discovery into U.S. law in 1823 in, in this Johnson v. McIntosh case. And he, he, he didn't just draw a parallel. He specifically, in language, specifically equated discovery with conquest. Well, in what frame, in, in, in what reality could discovering anything be the same as, 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 as something as violent as conquest? Well, I mean, there was violence involved with colonization, and that's why they could equate the, these two. And not every taking of native peoples and both lives and freedom and resources was, was a violent conflict. But it was all violence nonetheless. And it was all this notion of supremacy, white supremacy. So when I hear the Pope apologizing for the role that Christians played, and not take any accountability or any responsibility for the role the church played in the doctrine of Christian discovery, which is the foundation for these residential schools. It is not just an insult. It is a lie. And if you don't believe the Pope was lying about his, his concern for Native children, can I remind you that it was this Pope who finalized the sainthood for Hunapera Serra, a man whose biggest accomplishment was the death of Native children. Now, I know Christians see it different than that, but there were Native children died at, at some, somewhere between 70 and 90 percent. That, that was the, the, the mortality rate for children under the so-called care of Hunapera Serra. And he didn't care that they died. And now, now why, would a, why would a person not care if a child dies? Because once he baptized them, they were saved as far as he was concerned. Didn't matter. They could die, they could die before they left the water. But as far as Hunaparasera was concerned, once he, once he saved their soul, their body didn't even matter. So this man, and, and the, the evidence is pretty clear. And it wasn't just Sarah. It was, Sarah was backed by the military. And the amount of rape and molestation and murder that took place at the hands of the military that, that was all around Hunapara Sarah, 
it is, it is really incredible that this pope, who has made overtures for several years about what indigenous people you know, experienced at the hands of colonialism, never at the hands of the church. And, and his, his deflection could not be more evident than making Hunapara Sarah a saint. I mean, and the most disgusting thing is when you see the statues of Hunapara Sarah out, in, and this is on the West Coast, it's always got a picture of him in some small child. And, you know, look, I've made the argument that the clergy sex abuse scandals that, that are rocking the Catholic Church and other denominations as well, I might add, I make the argument that they either got their start or certainly experienced an, an emergence in their growth during the, the, this era of the residential schools. Like, like I said, it is so frustrating because when I see people responding so favorably towards the Pope, and it includes Native people. I mean, I, I did an interview this week, and, and of course it was asked, well, what, what about those people who, who, who handed him a headdress and placed a headdress on his, on his head? They were Christians. They were Catholics. They were people who are the, not only the victims of genocide or, or assimilation, but they are the evidence of successful assimilation. Uh, those crowds were handpicked. In fact, here's the crazy part. There was a woman who sung, who sang, I should say, at one of these events. And she sang to the melody of the Canadian national anthem. But she sang in Cree. And most people who heard that had no idea what they were listening to. But, but the Cree who understood the language, and her dialect in particular did, I had my good friend, Pure Fay, uh, on, on Facebook, we were going back and forth, her husband's Cree, and of the same dialect as this woman who sang. And her, she, the words that she put to that melody was telling the Pope to take that headdress off his head. It, her, the words that she put to that melody was condemning what was going on all around her. She looked, she looked like she was in pain as she was singing. Why? Because she was. The Catholic Church and other churches were, they were paid by the Canadian and U.S. governments. They, they were hired by the governments to run these schools. They had complete power over the children. And they had, they had complete power to grab the children, to steal the children, to abduct the children, to imprison the children, to abuse the children change their names, take any monies that they may have had coming to them. Because let's, let, let's be honest here. This went on for 150 years. During the latter parts of, of, of that era of residential schools slash boarding schools, there were, there were financial um, uh, commitments made to those children. But they didn't, they didn't receive any of it. The churches did. The churches... And the Catholic Church in particular stripped billions of dollars worth of resources from native, native territories, native peoples. I mean, they took blood and treasure from native people. And to the tune of billions, if not trillions of dollars. I mean, I, I heard a lot of people on the Canadian side, yeah, but what about the $30 million that the Catholic Church owes? $30 million? Do you realize how little $30 million is? Look, if you listen to this program, you know the governor of the state of New York, who happens to be a Catholic, by the way. <laughs> um, she squeezed half a billion dollars out of the Senecas, just out of gaming revenue. So what is $30 million? I mean, the church has been taking resources from native territories and native peoples, you know, and everything from, from slavery to, to precious minerals for centuries. And you know what? Here's the part that really, uh, really gets to me, is the church has always been meticulous about their records, except for the ones they destroy. The church knows what they did. 
and, and all of them did, because they wrote it down. They weren't even ashamed of what they did. Look, the reason that children were buried in mass graves wasn't even a cover-up. It was about money. It was too expensive to send dead children home. And, and this is a little different on the U.S. side and on the Canadian side. On the Canadian side, they literally chose to bury these children in unmarked, oftentimes mass graves, because it was cheaper to do that than to even figure out where the kids came from, because frankly, they didn't care. The job of these schools was to kill the Indian to save the man. I, actually, I added the word two in there. It doesn't actually say that. It's kill the Indian, save the man. Now, the implication, the assumption is, oh, we don't really mean kill them. We just mean kill that aspect of them. So in other words, <laughs> every one of those children were killed at some level. Every one of those children had something killed in them. But the truth is, many of them were killed. Thousands and thousands of children have already been confirmed in these graves on the Canadian side. Uh, the U.S. hasn't even begun. And, and part of what I was so, so appalled about when I heard Deb Hallen talking about, well, we, we, we know that there's been you know, at least 500 children that uh, were buried. No, that's one school out of over 350 of them. When the, when the U.S. is ever held accountable for the true numbers, it'll be tens of thousands. It'll probably be 50 to 100,000 children who died in those schools. On the Canadian side, they've only done the numbers on, on a dozen or so, and they're all really in, in, their, in the thousands already. So when I hear the Pope apologizing, because you can, you can just throw this word out there. He doesn't even say Catholics. He says he, 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 he's, he's asking for forgiveness for the role Christians played. In other words, he's even deflecting and not, and not even taking responsibility as, as the leader of the Catholic Church. Almost implying, well, it was some of those other Christians. <laughs> Look, all I can say is if, don't just read the newspaper accounts. If you can find a translation of what he actually said, you have to understand how carefully he parsed those words and how careful he was to not, not incriminate himself. And again, I say himself. Again, he's the guy who, who finalized the, the sainthood of Hunapera Serra. I don't know what this guy's history was in South America. And I know this, this Pope has earned an awful lot of praise for making comments relating to, to indigenous people. But his actions, let me, let me say one thing really clear here. There have been popes for, for many years who have claimed, well, that doctrine of Christian discovery, that's not really in place anymore. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, we had that one papal bull that kind of contradicted. Kind of contradicted? There was never a rescinding or repudiation of the doctrine of Christian discovery. Not, never. None of it. And this guy didn't do it either. And, you know, even if you do, even if the Catholic Church does make some statements specifically about the doctrine of Christian discovery, about it no longer being palatable, they have to address the fact that what they created was a standard that became codified in law. Like I said, 1823. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, liberal darling of the Supreme Court, in 2005 cited the doctrine of discovery, the doctrine of Christian discovery, in her opinion written supporting tossing an Oneida case. Oneida's reclaiming, not just reclaiming, buying in the open market land in their claim area and saying, look, it's ours. It, it was always ours. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it wasn't even a close, this wasn't one of those, you know, <laughs> five, four decisions. No, because everybody in the court, didn't matter if you were Jewish, didn't matter if you were black, didn't matter if you were a woman, didn't matter if you were a man. You all agreed that it was okay 
And in fact, many people, including presidents and, and, and other scholars, say whatever the native people experienced, it was just, it, it was destined to happen. Manifest destiny. It was nature. No, it wasn't nature. It was violent. Violent evangelism. <laughs> That's what it was. And the marriage, that unholy marriage between church and state that, that came together not only to form the doctrine of Christian discovery, which became codified in law, but that came together again for these boarding schools and residential schools. I mean, it's deplorable. And you know what? As much, and, and I've said this before, and I, I'm going to say it again. As heinous as the crimes by the individuals in these church organizations, the clergy, the nuns, the staff, as heinous as those crimes were against the children, the individual children who oftentimes were, were killed, abused, beaten, raped, forced into abortions. Yes, the Catholic Church and others forced into, into, into killing infants or, or committing abortions themselves. Sterilization. As heinous as all of that is, we can't ignore that it's not just child abuse. It's not just those crimes against children. It's genocide. It is genocide authorized and pushed forward by the Canadian and U.S. governments and others because this model you know, really gained some legs in Africa and Asia. But it was genocide as a, as a, as a state, nation-state policy committed against very specific people. Nobody else were the victims of these things. Even coming out of slavery and Jim Crow, Native kids were the targets of this genocide. Because if you could kill our young, if you could alter our young, the rest of us were just going to die off. We experienced the largest period of land loss and the largest volume of land loss during these, this residential school era. We experienced the, the largest decrease in our population. At the turn of the, uh, you know, of the, 20th century, as, as we enter into, into the 1900s, there were only about 200,000 Native people left in the U.S., and I'm not sure what the number was on the Canadian side. From tens of millions of people, the only people that constituted the population of these hemispheres, down to less, less than a million people, less than a quarter of a million people. Today, we only represent less than 1% of the U.S. population, a little high and higher than that on the, on the Canadian side, but less than 5% even on the Canadian side. So our population was eradicated, and where our population is actually growing now, but our population was eradicated during this whole era of residential schools. Well, how did that happen? Well, it happens a couple of ways. One is sterilization, but when you break apart the families, and you bust up communities, you don't have thriving communities. And you look, the argument was, well, we already didn't have thriving communities. You're right, we didn't. Why? Because the policies created abject poverty for our people to live into. Everything was controlled. It is a, I don't want to say miracle, <laughs> because I don't believe in miracles. <laughs> but it is incredible that we exist today that we survived, because that wasn't the plan. The plan was not just to assimilate Native people. The plan was to eradicate the Native part of us so much so that we would cease to exist, not only as a distinct people, but that we would cease to exist, period. We would just fade into the melting pot of the United States or Canada. There are still politicians today that will claim that their establishment of the res reservation system was something that was detrimental to Native people. <laughs> well, let's be clear what the reservation system was. Much of it was imprisonment. In our situation here, 
in Seneca territory, in many of the Haudenosaunee territories, we essentially had our populations decimated and we retreated into the small areas of our original homeland, but maintained that. Many people didn't. Many people were forced. The Trail of Tears, you've heard of it, right? The Long Walk, you've heard of it. If you haven't, look it up. Native people were forced at the end of a gun to leave their territories in many places. We, we, we were able to stick it out, some of us. Not all of us, some of us. And it is incredible that we maintain any semblance of identity. And we do. We do. Many, many of us have, have language programs that are bringing back our language in spite of the fact that it was decimated not only by residential schools, but by outlawing our language. Outlawing every part of our culture. And when the law gets passed, it says, oh yeah, we're going to pass a law that, that encourages the freedom of native religion. Well, that's like jamming two sticks in our eyes and then pulling one stick out and say, there, isn't it better? Look, this Pope did not take any responsibility for the role the church has played. And in a way, there's this, there's this, I don't know, exchange going on between the nation states of Canada and the United States and the churches involved because of that, again, that unholy marriage that they, that they joined together to commit this genocide against Native people. So there's a lot of finger pointing going back and forth. And the clergy sex abuse scandal allows the governments to make it sound like, oh yeah, those, those churches, they were bad actors. But the fact that the mainstream media will praise this Pope for his so-called apology, again, look it up. Look at what he actually said. He didn't apologize for the role of the church or his own actions. And again, I, I just can't get past the idea that this guy completed the process of making, making Hunapara Sarah a saint. A saint. He didn't apologize. He asked for forgiveness for what he wants to call the faulty Christians. As if they didn't understand the assignment. Oh, they understood the assignment all right. That assignment came out of those papal bulls of the 15th century. It was the same assignment that Columbus had, the conquistadors had, the British had, the French had, the Americans had. They understood the assignment. This wasn't something lost in your translation. Those papal bulls were clear. They, I mean, these nations were charged to go into these pagan territories and defeat the tyranny of the enemies of Christ and commit them to perpetual servitude, take their lives, take their possessions. At some point, there did become some effort in this idea of conversion. But it's almost, again, so they could create a tally. A tally for the souls they saved, in spite of the fact that the lives weren't. No, Pope Francis, you owe an apology. Still. But we don't need an apology. Because those words are, not only are they, do they ring hollow anyway, but they certainly ring hollow when you set it, set it beside the actions of the church. And look, I know a delegation, and I knew some of those people who went to, who went to, to Rome last year. And just like those people who stuck a headdress on the top of this pope's head, those folks who went to Rome, they didn't represent all Native people. They represented a narrow group of people. When, when you go there and you dance for the pope, and you perform these, you know, you know, put on a dog and pony show for him there and in Canada, and you tell the Pope, yes, we're human beings just like you. We, we are faithful people, prayerful people just like you. We have a soul just like you. No, we don't. 
Maybe some of you believe that. You know who, the, the some of you who believe that? Those of you who've been indoctrinated. And look, but I realize that that makes you victims too. But nobody's going to go and, and, and testify in front of the Pope and, and say that I have a soul. I don't even know what the hell that's supposed to mean. Because we weren't, we weren't having any prayers answered while our children were being raped and murdered and neglected to the point of death or massacred or monies paid for the bounties of our scalps. Yeah, there's an apology due, but it means nothing. As I said before, and I'm going to say it one more time before I close here, we need not just checks written for the survivors of residential schools. We need restoration of lands. We need restoration of autonomy. And we need to have the, the ability and the rights acknowledged so we can grow our population out. Will we ever be the dominant population that we were? I don't know. All I know is that you're making a pretty good mess of things for those of you claim to be operating in the name of your, your Christian God. So, all I can say is, you're not going to write a check for this. And $30 million from the Catholic Church doesn't get it done. And writing checks to survivors of residential schools doesn't get it done. And we will be the final arbiter of whether any of the wrong has been righted. None of it has so far. None of it has so far. Look, I want to thank you for listening again. I hope that you'll support WBAI and WPFW. I know I, I offered some strong words today in my condemnation of the Pope. And for those of you who are devoted Christians or devoted Catholics in particular, you may take offense to some of this. But I challenge any of you to read what he actually said, as opposed to how this is being characterized. And just because the New York Times or, you know, or, or you know, the Canadian Broadcast Association, just because they're saying it doesn't necessarily make it true. And just because enough Native people show up to pander to the Pope doesn't mean that we all do. Most of us are outraged by what happened this week. Most of us are outraged. So again, I want to thank you, and I encourage you to support WBAI and support WPFW, and uh, help us, you know, help us keep these programs, this program, on the air, and not be in a constant state of fund drives or fund drives every other month or, or whatever. I mean, we, we none of us want that, and nobody at WBAI or WPFW wants that. But we live in challenging times, and we are community radio. We aren't public broadcasting with well-funded you know, NPR stations. We aren't that. We're community radio, and we depend on listener-supported um, sponsorship. So we ask that you, that you support this, uh, this program and support these, uh, these stations. I want to thank you for, uh, for bearing with me on both the fundraising and, and bearing with me on some very strong opinions about um, the Pope this, uh, this week. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.